Hello everyone, welcome back to my podcast. In this episode called Hearts of Middle-Earth, Tragedy and Love, I will explore two stories from Tolkien's Legendarium, which detail, well, as I said, tragedy and love. Those stories being Aldarion and Erendis and Baron and Luthien. So if you haven't subscribed, please do so. I try to put out at least one episode a week. And please check out Coag Music. They provide the awesome background music you hear in my episodes. So with that, let's get started. Now, with today being Valentine's Day, I felt it appropriate to have an episode regarding some of the special relationships in Tolkien's Legendarium. There are many. His secondary world, his Legendarium Middle-Earth, however you choose to define it or identify it, It's a place where you can find many themes, topics, battles, struggles, sacrifice, heroism, love, evil, mercy, compassion, deception, magic, songs, poetry, nature, and relationships. The latter includes those relationships which survive the test of time and adversity, those that end with tragedy and heartache, and others that we know very little. To explain where I'm going with this, oftentimes we can read the same book over and over, and tend to see things we didn't before, or attain a better understanding and appreciation for the work itself or even the message it conveys. I recently discovered something which I did not fully appreciate, that of the numerous relationships in Middle-earth. Now, any epic and heroic saga tends to include relationships, whether they are familial in nature, friendships, brothers-in-arms, and also the love between the two protagonists fighting for their love and enduring much and sacrificing for each other, if only to have that fairy tale happy ending. If you have been in a relationship or currently in one or long to have a special connection to someone, Tolkien endeavors to provide you with a relatable or even an applicable character or relationship. His works were not meant to be allegorical by his design. However, he does welcome the reader to find applicability to themselves, connecting with a character and or situation. I recently went through my memory of reading the stories created by Tolkien for his Middle-Earth saga and wrote down all of the unique relationships. I ended up with about 23. Now, I am most assuredly missing some, and some of the ones I listed here do not include much information to go on. Nonetheless, allow me to first read this list and then we will focus on a chosen two for the purpose of this episode. So among the Valar, or the gods, there's Manwe Sulimo and Varda Elentari, Tulkas and Nessa, Aule and Yavana, Orome and Bana, Irmo and Este, Mandos and Baire. And among the children of Iluvatar, or the men and elves, there's Beren and Luthien, Tuor and Idril, Earendil and Elwing, Aldarion and Erendis, Aragorn and Arwen, Faramir and Eowyn, Galadriel and Celeborn, Elwë Thingol and Melion, Eol and Arathel, Elrond and Celebrian, Turgon and Elenwë, Amroth and Nimrodel, Dior and Nimloth, Denethor II and Finduilas, Arvedui and Firiel, Arathorn II and Gilrain, Tyranon, Falastor, and Beruthiel. Again, some of these we have little information on. Some of these relationships ended in tragedy with death, or it was a loveless marriage. But I just wanted to show 
Tolkien made a concerted effort to include relationships that amidst all of the epic battles and situations and events that happened throughout his history, there were relationships. These events affected people, affected couples deeply, and I hope to expound on two particular relationships that I mentioned. First, we'll start with Aldarion and Eurendis. Again, I thank you for listening and hope you can overlook my lack of romantic vocal abilities. Aldarion and Eurendis. To begin, let us explore the tragedy of this relationship. During the first millennia of Numenor, this blessed island nation of men prospered greatly under divine protection by the Valar, as well as the righteous rule of its kings. The people of this land were additionally blessed with visitations by the Eldar, or elves, in the west from Tol Eresea. In the latter half of the first millennia, Tarmeneldur, king of Numenor, had a son, Anardil, who would later be known as Aldarion. Aldarion loved the sea and ever wanted to set sail and explore the vast reaches of Arda. When he was of age, he began testing his merit on the seas around Numenor and learned all there was to know about shipbuilding, sailing, and such. He began the group known as the Guild of Venturers, who would ever be in his company during his travels to the coast of Middle-earth. So great was his love for the sea that Aldarion constructed a ship to be his residence. However, this passion for the sea and not for the rule and dwelling in Numenor brought great tension between Aldarion and his father, who sought for his only heir to take up the scepter and rule Numenor when the time came. When Aldarion reached his 100th year, the king proclaimed him as his heir, bringing peace to their relationship for a time. During this time of celebration, many nobles from across the island nation of Numenor came to partake in this celebration. One such nobleman, Beragar, came with his daughter, named Erendis. We can read in unfinished tales the following, quote, And Erendis was dark-haired and of slender grace, with clear gray eyes of her kin. But Arendis looked upon Aldarion as he rode by, and for his beauty and splendor of bearing, she had eyes for little else. Thereafter, Arendis entered the household of the queen, and found favor also with the king, but little did she see of Aldarion. And when six years had passed since the proclamation of the king's heir, Aldarion determined to sail again to Middle-earth. Of the king he got grudging leave, for he refused his father's urging that he abide in Numenor and seek a wife. But coming to bid farewell to his mother, he saw Erendis amid the queen's company, and looking upon her beauty, he divined the strength that lay concealed in her. His mother, the queen Almarion, asked if anything could hold him in Numenor. Aldarion replied, Not yet, but there are fairer things in Armenelos than a man could find elsewhere. But mariners are men of two minds at war with themselves, and the desire of the sea still holds me. Eurendis was present during this exchange, and it was her belief that Aldarion spoke these words to her as well. From that time forth, her heart was turned wholly to Aldarion. Yet she looked on no man with favor thereafter, and every suitor she dismissed. Aldarion took a number of voyages thereon after, much to the dismay and disliking of the king, who only desired to have his son embrace his royal duties and remain on the island and be married. But Aldarion was a man of a hardened mind and heart, for he often felt his life had already been decided by others' will and not his. His will was to ever sail and be not idle. 
In Numenorean custom, once a great lord or mariners left the island to sail far away, the bow of return would transpire, which was the waving of a branch from the sacred white tree, which symbolizes hope and a safe return. The king, being greatly angered by Aldarion's stubbornness and refusal to stay, forbade the custom upon his son's departure. But Erendus, coming to the queen, desired to perform the custom on her behalf. Erendus, who was not a lover of the sea, but instead loved the wide forests and fields and animals of Numenor, came with the sacred branch. Aldarion was amazed and joyful at this meeting, and she said, I have brought you the bow of return, lord, from the queen. From the queen, said Aldarion in a changed manner. Yes, lord, said she, but I asked for her leave to do so. Others beside your own kin will rejoice at your return as soon as may be. At that time, Aldarion first looked upon Erendis with love, and he stood long in the stern of a ship looking back as his ship passed out to sea. It is said that he hastened his return and was gone less time than he had designed, and coming back he brought gifts for the queen and the ladies of her house, but the richest gift he brought for Erendis, and that was a diamond. But the pride of Aldarion was hot with disobeying the king and soon after ventured off for fourteen years to Middle-earth, encountering much peril and setbacks. Nonetheless, the kingdom rejoiced in his return, but to his dismay he could not find Erendis. Aldarion was grieved for this, but was too proud to seek her, unless he was willing to ask her in marriage, but he was unwilling to be bound. Now Aldarion had sought much timber in Numenor for the building of ships, however, he was also adept in conservation, and always replanting more trees than he felled. But one day, while riding in the westland forest of Numenor, he came upon a woman, quote, whose hair flowed in the wind, and about her was a green cloak clasped at the throat with a bright jewel. And he took her for one of the Eldar, but she approached, and he knew her for Erendis, and saw that the jewel was the one he had given her. Then suddenly he knew in himself the love that he bore her, and felt the emptiness of his days. Erendis, seeing him, turned pale and would ride off, but he was too quick, and he said, too well have I deserved that you should flee from me, who have fled so often and so far, but forgive me and stay now. There they rode on to her father's house where he made plain his desire to marry her. She loved him more than he could know, but she now feared in her heart the war between herself and the sea for the keeping of Aldarion she would not conquer. Now I wanted to provide this context to show the heart of Aldarion and the heart of Erendis, and the conflict they would begin to seemingly suppress for a time. Through many more years, Aldarion took other voyages, and upon marrying Erendis, he dwelled in Numenor for some years, feeling more out of duty while he shelved the mariner in him. Together they had a daughter, Ankalime, and when she was barely four years of age, Aldarion could no longer suppress his desire to set sail. He had planned to take two years and then return for the care of his family and kingdom. And we read, quote, Upon his departure, Aldarion lifted up on Kalime and kissed her. Though she clung to him, he set her down quickly and rode off. All that day, Erendis sat in her chamber alone, grieving. But deeper in her heart, she felt a new pain of cold anger, and her love of Aldarion was wounded to the quick. She hated the sea and now even trees that once she had loved, she desired to look upon no more, for they recalled to her the masts of great ships. 
Evermore the heart of Erendis turned cold. Aldarion's absence only fed her bitterness, and she took her daughter and dwelled away from the sea and into the deep of the island, with only a group of female servants. And, quote, she sought to ever mold her daughter to her own mind, and to feed her upon her own bitterness against men. After five years, Aldarion returned to Armenelos under a gray sky and heavy rain, only to discover his house shut, and his wife and daughter nowhere to be found. He inquired of the king, who was but cold to see his son's belated return. Aldarion replies, Alas, even I have become weary of the sea, and for long my heart has yearned westward, but I have been detained against my heart. There is much to do, and all things go backwards in my absence. He inquires his father on the whereabouts of his family, to which the latter replies, Where your wife is, you have broken your word to her, whether by necessity or no. She dwells now in Amerie, in her own house, far from the sea. Thither you must go at once. Riding hard, Aldarion came to the house of Erendis and leapt from his horse. There in the forecourt he beheld his wife, clad in white. Quote, but she was pale, her eyes overbright. You come late, my lord. I had long ceased to expect you. From there she turned into the house, leaving Aldarion to be served by two of her servants. Upon staying the night alone in a guest room, Aldarion awoke early with anger for the treatment he experienced. As he parted from the house to leave, Erendis came forward from the doors and stood on the threshold. You leave more promptly than you came, my lord. I hope that you have not found this house of women irksome already, to go thus before your business is done. Indeed, what business brought you hither? May I learn it before you leave? I was told in Armenelos that my wife was here and had removed my daughter hither, he answered. As to the wife, I am mistaken, it seems. But have I not a daughter? You had one some years ago, she said, but my daughter has not yet risen. Then let her rise while I go for my horse, said Aldarion. He briefly spoke to his daughter, who did not recognize him, but to him she seemed more like him than her mother. He bid farewell and rode off. To close this sad tale, we can read the following, Erendis alone at a window watched him riding down the hill. There she wept, from grief, but still more from anger. She had looked for some penitence, but he had dealt with her as if she were the offender, and ignored her before her daughter. She saw Aldarion now as something large and not to be tamed, driven by a fierce will, more perilous when chill. Perilous, she said. I am steel hard to break, so he would find even were he the king of Numenor. I've only chosen select portions of this tale, which is extensive in detail. For a time, this couple were truly happy, and Aldarion was pacified to remain in Numenor and fulfill his duties as king's heir and husband to his wife. Nonetheless, we can see how misplaced priorities, pride, and carelessness led to anger, resentment, heartache, and loss. Erendis lived out her days with the same temperament she held upon Aldarion's departure. Their daughter Ankalime would eventually become the first ruling queen of Numenor, much like her father in pride and sternness, but with no love for the sea. Aldarion, as it was revealed, 
voyage to Middle-earth out of necessity as the evil and shadow of Sauron began to take shape, and the elves of Gilgalad desired for Aldarion's help and counsel in this matter. Aldarion, ever torn by his duty and his passion, shows how fragile our agency is, and the unforeseen, or even ignored, ramifications of poor judgment and pride can cause to those one may profess to love. Eurendis spent many decades waiting for her love to be fully reciprocated by Aldarion. However, her coldness and bitterness by his neglect can certainly be understood. How much can one heart truly take? Our second and final tale is of Baron and Luthien. The Cimmerillion explains, quote, Among the tales of sorrow and of ruin that come down to us from the darkness of those days, there are yet some in which amid weeping there is joy, and under the shadow of death light that endures, and of these histories most fair still in the ears of the elves is the tale of Baron and Luthien. Of their lives was made the lay of Luthien, release from bondage, which is the longest save one of the songs concerning the world of old. But here the tale is told in fewer words and without song. The tale of Baron and Luthien is one of the most beloved stories in J.R.R. Tolkien's Legendarium. It is one of the great tales from the first age of Arda, a story of love, sacrifice, and endurance. This tale evolved over the years with differing versions. However, the core of the story remained the same, with the selfsame sacrifice, love, and grace between the two protagonists. For this episode, we will follow more of the account as recorded in the Silmarillion. Baron was a man of the house of Beor, one of the three great houses of the Edine, or men, who befriended and served alongside the Eldar, or elves, of the first age in Beleriand. The house of Beor dwelt in the land called Dorthonion, but we learn that after the Dagor Bragalak, or the Battle of Sudden Flame, that Baron's people had all been but destroyed and slaved, with few escaping into bordering lands, and the enemy taking control of their homes. His father Barahir, himself, and a few others among the men of his house lived as outlaws harassing the vile servants of the enemy when the opportunities were presented. However, this valiant band would be discovered and killed by orcs. Beren, upon discovering this faithful band of men, he came across the body of his father. That day, he buried him and swore to avenge his death, beginning with hunting down the company of orcs which killed his father. After slaying their leader and obtaining a ring borne by his father, but taken by the orcs, he fled into the wilderness, becoming hunted prey for the enemy. Baron endured four years in Dorthonion, having been unwilling to leave his home and to slay the evil that now resided there. At this point, Morgoth himself set a price on the head of Baron for his capture, and Sauron led an army of foul creatures searching for this outlaw, whose deeds were becoming known throughout the lands of Beleriand, including the Forbidden Realm of Doriath. Baron was forced to flee, and during his flight he climbed the Mountains of Terror and could see from afar the Forbidden Realm of Doriath. No mortal man had ever set foot in that realm. Nonetheless, Baron resolved that it would be the safest place for him to go, yet hope of reaching it was slim at best. 
terrible and dangerous were his travels over the mountains of terror and into a land filled with shadows and hideous creatures, namely the offspring of a Goliath. These spiders spun webs of darkness and ensnared any living thing. We can read the following detail from the Cimmerillion, quote, The wilderness of Dungortheb, monsters wandered there that were born in the long dark before the sun, hunting silently with many eyes. No food for elves or men was there in that haunted land, but death only. That journey is not accounted least among the great deeds of Beren, but he spoke of it to no one after, lest the horror return into his mind, and none know how he found a way, and so came by paths that no man nor elf else ever dared to tread to the borders of Doriath. To pause here, to those unfamiliar with this tale or even Tolkien's legendarium, the realm of Doriath, as was said, was forbidden. It was ruled by an ancient elf named Elwë, or later Eluthingal. He was one of the elven lords who departed their land of awakening far to the east with a host of followers. These elves had accepted an invitation by the Valar, or the gods, to dwell in their blessed realm. Thingol's host was encamped when he began to wander into a forest and encountered the Maya, which was comparable to an angel, named Melian. There he became enchanted, and they were wed. Most of his kin passed on into the west, while those who remained to search for him became the Grey Elves, and they dwelled with him. With the evil of the Vala Morgoth spreading, Melion created a protective girdle, or shield of enchantment, around Doriath, where no evil thing or influence could enter. This girdle is where we will pick up where we left off. I will not summarize the meeting of Baron and Luthien, but instead will read directly from the Silmarillion, as it is a meeting which must be read in its entirety. Baron passed through the mazes that Melion had created about the kingdom, but he managed to conquer these tests, and quote, he stumbled into Doriath, gray and bowed, as with many years of woe, so great had been the torment of the road. As Beren began to wander through this enchanted wood, he came upon an elf maiden. Her name was Luthien, daughter of Thingol and Melion. At a time of evening under moonrise, as she danced upon the unfading grass in the glades, then all memory of his pain departed from him, and he fell into an enchantment, for Luthien was the most beautiful among elves and men. Blue was her raiment as the unclouded heaven, but her eyes were gray as the starlit evening. Her mantle was sewn with golden flowers, but her hair was dark as the shadows of twilight. As the light upon the leaves of trees, as the voice of clear waters, as the stars above the mists of the world, such was her glory and her loveliness. And in her face was a shining light, but she vanished from his sight, and he became dumb as one is bound under a spell. And he strayed long in the woods, wild and wary as a beast, seeking for her. In his heart he called her Tinubiel, that signifies Nightingale, daughter of twilight, in the gray elven tongue. For he knew no other name for her, and he saw her afar as leaves in the winds of autumn, and in winter as a star upon a hill, but a chain was upon his limbs. 
There came a time near dawn on the eve of spring, and Luthien danced upon a green hill, and suddenly she began to sing. Keen, heart-piercing was her song, as the song of a lark that rises from the gates of night and pours its voice among the dying stars. Seeing the sun behind the walls of the world, and the song of Luthien released the bonds of winter, and the frozen water spoke, and flowers sprang from the cold earth where her feet had passed. Then the spell of silence fell from Baron, and he called to her, crying, Tinuviel! And the woods echoed the name. Then she halted in wonder, and fled no more, and Baron came to her. But as she looked on him, doom fell upon her, and she loved him. Yet she slipped from his arms and vanished from his sight even as the day was breaking. Then Beren lay upon the ground in a swoon, as one slain at once by bliss and grief. And he fell into a sleep as it were into an abyss of shadow. And waking he was cold as stone, and his heart barren and forsaken. And wandering in mind he groped as one that is stricken with sudden blindness, and seeks with hands to grasp the vanished light. Beyond his hope she returned to him, where he sat in darkness, and she laid her hand in his. Thereafter often she came to him, and they went in secret through the woods together from spring to summer, and no others have had joy so great. Now this union of elves and men had not before happened in the world, and a doom was set upon Luthien, that joining in love with Beren would cause her to become mortal as well and die. We further read that their meetings were discovered and reported to her father Thingol, who became enraged by this news and immediately sent to apprehend Beren and to be brought before him. But Luthien was aware of this, and she herself led Beren to the court of her father. Reading from the Silmarillion, quote, Then Thingol looked upon Beren in scorn and anger, but Melion was silent. Who are you, said the king, that come hither as a thief and unbidden dare to approach my throne? But Beren, being filled with dread, for the splendor of Menegroth and the majesty of Thingol were very great, answered nothing. Therefore Luthien spoke and said, He is Beren, son of Barahir, lord of men, mighty foe of Morgoth, the tale of whose deeds has become a song even among the elves. Let Beren speak, said Thingol. What would you hear, unhappy mortal, and for what cause have you left your own land to enter this, which is forbidden to such as you? Can you show reason why my power should not be laid on you in heavy punishment for your insolence and folly? Then Beren, looking up, beheld the eyes of Luthien, and his glance went also to the face of Melion, and it seemed to him that words were put into his mouth. Fear left him, and the pride of the eldest house of men returned to him, and he said, My fate, O king, led me hither, through perils such as few even of the elves would dare. And here I have found what I sought not indeed, but finding I would possess forever. For it is above all gold and silver and beyond all jewels, neither rock nor steel nor the fires of Morgoth nor all the powers of the elf kingdoms shall keep from me the treasure that I desire. For Luthien, your daughter, is the fairest of all the children 
of the world. Then silence fell upon the hall, for those that stood there were astounded and afraid, and they thought that Beren would be slain. But Thingol spoke slowly, saying, Death you have earned with these words, and death you should find suddenly. Had I not sworn an oath in haste, of which I repent, base-born mortal, who in the realm of Morgoth has learnt to creep in secret as his spies and thralls. Then Beren answered, Death you can give me earned or unearned, but the names I will not take from you of base-born, nor spy, nor thrall, by the ring of Felagund that he gave to Barahir my father on the battlefield of the north, my house has not earned such names from any elf, be he king or no. But Thingol looked in silence upon Luthien, and he thought in his heart, Unhappy men, children of little lords and brief kings, shall such as these lay hands on you and yet live? Then breaking the silence, he said, I see the ring, son of Barahir, and I perceive that you are proud and deem yourself mighty. But a father's deeds, even had his service been rendered to me, avail not to win the daughter of Thingol and Melion. See now, I too desire a treasure that is withheld. For rock and steel and the fires of Morgoth keep the jewel that I would possess against all the powers of the elf kingdoms. Yet I hear you say that bonds such as these do not daunt you. Go your way, therefore. Bring to me in your hand a Silmaril from Morgoth's crown, and then, if she will, Luthien may set her hand in yours. Then you shall have my jewel. And though the fate of Arda lie within the Silmarils, yet you shall hold me generous. But Baron laughed. For little price, he said, do elven kings sell their daughters for gems and things made by craft? But if this be your will, Thingal, I will perform it. And when we meet again, my hand shall hold a Silmaril from the Iron Crown, for you have not looked the last upon Beren, son of Barahir. Then he looked in the eyes of Melion, who spoke not, and he bade farewell to Luthien Tinovio. And bowing before Thingol and Melion, he put aside the guards about him, and departed from Menegroth alone. Now, I am not going to recount every deed or event that transpired involving Beren and Luthien, but will instead focus on one major event with its consequences in his journey to obtain the Silmaril. To be brief, the Silmarils, or the Great Jewels, were created by the great Noldorin elf Feanor, in Valinor, or the Blessed Realm, they contained the light of the two trees, Laurelin and Telperion, which lit the Blessed Realm before the coming of the sun and the moon. These jewels were taken by Morgoth, and Feanor with his seven sons swore an oath of vengeance, and to stop at nothing to obtain the jewels again. Great and terrible were the deeds of his sons in keeping this oath. The Baron journeyed far in passing through great peril and even taking an arrow to the chest when protecting Luthien, of which she healed his wound by her arts and by her love for him. She would not now leave him, and they disguised themselves with the skins of evil servants, a vampire bat for Luthien and a werewolf for Beren, so as to pass freely through the gates of Angband and into the court of Morgoth. 
Beren greatly desired to not involve Luthien in his quest, but their love was unbreakable, and she would not leave him to an uncertain fate, for if he died, she would die with him. So they passed northward into the very gates of Angband. There the great wolf Karkaroth met them, and denied them entry, for he smelled something different about these creatures. With this we read, quote, But suddenly some power descended from old, from divine race, possessed Luthien, and casting back her foul raiment, she stood forth, small before the might of Karkaroth, but radiant and terrible. Lifting up her hand, she commanded him to sleep, saying, O woe-begotten spirit, fall now into dark oblivion, and forget for a while the dreadful doom of life. And Karkaroth was felled, as though lightning had smitten him. Then Beren and Luthien went through, and together wrought the greatest deed that has been dared by elves or men. They came to the very throne of Morgoth, and Morgoth commanded her to remove her disguise. We read, quote, She was not daunted by his eyes, and offered her service as a minstrel. She began to sing and dance about the court with all eyes trying to follow her. Fires were quenched, heads were bowed, and all, even Morgoth, fell into a deep sleep. But the Silmarils on the crown of Morgoth's head blazed forth suddenly with radiance of white flame. Beren cast off his disguise and proceeded to remove one of the jewels. He held it in his hand, but his mind went astray, desiring to bring back all three jewels and thus go beyond his vow. But his knife broke upon the second attempt, and a shard smote the cheek of Morgoth, who stirred from slumber. Terrified, they fled out from his deep courts and came to the gate, only to see Karkaroth awake and enraged. Upon seeing them, he sprang, but Beren held the bright Silmaril in his hand to stay the beast. But the great wolf bit off Beren's hand, which held the jewel, and we read, quote, then swiftly all his inwards were filled with a flame of anguish, and the Silmaril seared his accursed flesh. Howling, he fled before them. So terrible did he become in his madness, that all creatures fled far away, for he slew all living things that stood in his path. Beren lay dying from his poisoned wound by the mouth of Karkaroth, but Luthien, with what strength remained in her, drew out the venom with her lips. Now that all of Angband was awakened, they were saved timely by the great eagles and borne off to Doriath. During this flight, Luthien wept, thinking Beren would die as he spoke no word nor opened his eyes. For some of their journeys, they were accompanied by the great hound of Valinor, Huan, and joining them once again, he and Luthien tended to Beren's wound. Long Beren lay, and his spirit wandered upon the dark borders of death, knowing ever an anguish that pursued him from dream to dream. Then suddenly, when her hope was almost spent, he woke again and looked up, seeing leaves against the sky, and he heard beneath the leaves, singing soft and slow beside him, Luthien Tenuviel. It was spring again. Beren and Luthien then came to the court of her father. Beren knelt before him and said, I return according to my word, and I am come now to claim my own. And Thingal answered, 
what of your quest and of your vow? But Beren said, It is fulfilled. Even now a Silmaril is in my hand. Then Thingol said, Show it to me. And Beren put forth his left hand, slowly opening its fingers. It was empty. Then he held up his right arm. Thingol's mood became softened. Therefore, at the last, he yielded his will, and Beren took the hand of Luthien before the throne of her father. Now we can recall that the great wolf Karkaroth was causing mayhem throughout the lands, and Thingol and Beren with a small escort sought to hunt and destroy the beast. The great wolf espied them and hid. He then leapt from the shadows toward Thingol, but Beren came about on his horse to stop the wolf but it turned instead to Beren and bit him on the chest. Then Huan the Great Hound fought with Karkaroth, and both were slain by the other. Then Mablung and Bedeg, who were with the king, came to this horrible scene. And Mablung cut the Silmaril from the wolf's belly. The jewel's light filled the shadows of the forest. But Mablung put it into Beren's hand, who lay dying. Beren then says, Now is the quest achieved, and my doom full rot. Bringing his body back to Doriath, Luthien set arms about Beren and kissed him, bidding him await her beyond the western sea, and he looked upon her eyes ere the spirit left him. But the starlight was quenched, and darkness had fallen even upon Luthien Tenuviel, for the spirit of Beren at her bidding tarried in the halls of Mandos, unwilling to leave the world, until Luthien came to say her last farewell upon the dim shores of the outer sea, whence men that die set out never to return. But the spirit of Luthien fell down into darkness, and at the last it fled, and her body lay like a flower that is suddenly cut off and lies for a while unwithered on the grass. We further read that the spirit of Luthien dwelt as with all those deceased in the halls of Mandos, who was the keeper of the slain, awaiting their judgment. But her beauty was more than their beauty, and her sorrow deeper than their sorrows. And she knelt before Mandos and sang to him. It was a song most fair that ever in words was woven, and the song most sorrowful that ever in the world shall hear. For Luthien wove two themes of words, of the sorrow of the Eldar and of the grief of Mem. And as she knelt before him, her tears fell upon his feet like rain upon the stones, and Mandos was moved to pity, who never before was so moved, nor has been since. Mandos then asked Manwe, greatest of the Velar, to inquire of Iluvatar, or the one, what should be done. It was decided that Luthien should make a choice, to dwell in the blessed realm until the world's end, or to go back to Middle-earth with Beren and dwell again together. She chose her love of Beren and to be with him until their second death came to pass. She would thus live as a mortal and be subject to die, and their paths would lead together beyond the confines of the world. Now in this tale of Beren and Luthien, I left out many details and some particularly notable accounts because it would have been several hours of telling. And I hope that I was able to capture 
what made their love so special, what was truly unique about their relationship, that it was the first union of elves and men that through their posterity, hope would come to the world. Now, on this Valentine's Day, it's easy to mock it or pass it off as just something that's done by corporations or just tradition. Well, this one time of year, I'll show my affection or love to that special someone when we should do it every day, of course. But it's also a day, you could think of New Year's Day, where you choose to push the restart button, where you choose to make better goals, recommit yourself, well, you could think of Valentine's Day in that same manner. Push the restart button in your relationship. If you're falling behind, if you're lagging, if your priorities are misplaced, or you feel maybe you've lacked a lot of love and affection, well, this is your time to start anew. And I hope these stories were enjoyable to hear. And also, it's, it's an encouragement for each of us to seek out these special stories in books, whether fiction or nonfiction, or in your family history, to find these relationships and learn from them, whether they ended in tragedy or were a loved-filled marriage or union. There's always things to learn. There's always things to improve. And I hope that in this episode, you found a renewed joy or purpose to show that affection to those that you care about. Thank you again for listening, and I'll catch you in my next episode. Take care.